Hello, my name is Moni, and this is my the first podcast that I'm making regarding my book reviews. Um, so the first book that I'm going to be talking about is a psychological book, um, and it's called Listening to Killers by James Garbarino. This book is basically about um, this psychologist um, who speaks about all of the lessons he learned from his 20 years of experience as a psychological expert witness in murder cases and he delves deep into um, the minds of a killer and what are some risk factors that may lead um, to such an individual to form. Uh, I will be reviewing this book since it's very um, in-depth. I will be reviewing it by sections um, since it covers several interesting topics. So, um, this book is, it targets three different areas. The first section that the author looks into is the concept of choice in the criminal justice system. So, in other words, the concept of free will. And it also delves deep into social cultural aspects as well as biological aspects that may affect this. Um, however, in this podcast, we will only be looking at the social cultural aspect. In one of the, ca- the chapters, um, Garbarino talks about the idea of free will. And that is something that is very interesting when analyzing. Uh, the minds of a killer because it allows one to understand what um, environment they grew up in since the environment uh, and one's social upbringing affects the way one behaves in the future. So it pretty much mentions how our own culture and environment affects the choices that we make. Um, And one of the interesting things that James Garbarino does in this book is that he mentions that every time he interviews a killer, he always wants to know about where they live. The reason why is because where someone lives, um, meaning the habits of heart, mind, and behavior, it really affects the choices one will make um, if you're a child, especially if you're a child with a history of aggression or bad behavior. And where you live also affects your moral upbringing and what you believe to be right or wrong. Um, So what one culture might believe to be right and appropriate, another culture may admonish in a way. One example that he gave was when he traveled to Sudan in 1985 um, and he went to visit a child who he was supporting through an international aid organization called Plan International and he found that the Sudanese women, one of the practices that they did to their children was that they generally mutilated their daughters um, because that was part of 
that that was regarded as normal in that culture, in that country. And it was something that the mothers had gone through themselves as children. However, then he makes, he changes the scenario and mentions how in other places, such as the United States, that would be considered a criminal act. So just in that example, one can see how the places where you live, the environment that you grew up in, really affects the way one may see certain aspects or situations in the future. Another very interesting topic that he delves deep into is uh, the idea of false confessions because there have been many cases uh, throughout history where individuals have chosen to confess to a crime that they actually did not commit. He, Garbarino then um, questions why are people willing to do that? Why did they choose to confess to a crime even though they're, they may be innocent? Um, so the reason that he concluded was that some individuals which he has interviewed uh, throughout his years as a psychologist, they chose to confess to a crime they didn't commit because they simply wanted attention or they were delusional. However, one of the biggest reasons why, which he found to be most common, was due to pressure and manipulation, specifically from the law enforcement officers and the police. Uh, there were many of the individuals just were unable to handle this kind of pressure and manipulation up to the point where they became convinced that they had committed the crime. In other words, it seems as if um, the police officers, they implanted this false memory uh, into the individual's mind, leading them to believe that they were actually involved in the crime. And this is known as confabulation, which is a pretty much when a person recalls false memories or gives false answers. Um, and is not able to distinguish a real memory from a false one. However, on the other hand, there are people who choose to confess to a crime which they are guilty of committing, and there are several reasons why um, an individual may do this, one of them being that they carry a feeling of guilt. Um, they are They seem to be in disbelief of the act that, may, that they um, did and their guilt um, pretty much pushes them to confess to the crime. Another one is that by doing so, by committing to a crime, the there may be more lenient options in the criminal justice system, so they may reduce their sentencing in order to do this. But they and the individual may also be protecting someone from prosecution or as mentioned previously they are just fearful of the interrogating officers however there are some individuals um, that they confess to a crime 
I'm, I'm sorry, I mean they don't confess to a crime because they just simply do not believe that they did this. For there is this one case called the Marvin Tolman case uh, in which the author talks about how this man he annihilated his whole family and after he did that, he called the SWAT team and waited for them to arrive and upon their arrival, he was immediately arrested and um, he was charged for these, uh, these crimes. However, when he was interrogated, Martin, Marvin Tolman did not confess to the crimes. He truly believed that he did not commit those heinous acts at all. And uh, the psychologist came to the conclusion that he developed dissociative amnesia, which is the inability to, re to remember um, due to the trauma of, violent, of the violent acts committed. So it seems that while he was committing these malicious acts, his mind just completely disassociated from the acts that he was doing in order to protect himself. And this act was more than his fragile psyche could bear. So that is just a short summary of one of the topics that the author uh, talks about. If you're interested, I strongly recommend you to read this book, um, especially the first part. It really focuses on that. Another thing that it focuses on, which I will just mention briefly, is about empathy. Now, one of the struggles or hardships of his of James Garbarino's career is that he has to try to empathize or feel a bit, a bit of compassion towards these killers in order to better understand them. Some pattern that he noticed with all of the killers that he's interviewed and been a witness for is that all of them have suffered at least from some kind of abuse in their childhood uh, and they suffer from some kind of trauma which after in, mo in most of the cases they're more than just one traumatic event it there's it's something known as a chronic trauma which affects them even into their adulthood and leads them to make poor choices um so one of the things that he has found is that many of these killers that he's interviewed lack this feeling of empathy. Now, empathy comes naturally for most of us because people contain something known as mirror neurons and these mirror neurons um, allow us to replicate the emotions seen in others and it is this uh, feeling of empathy is pretty much the main driver of human progress. However, sometimes when empathy acts alone, it can divert us from the truth. And empathy can sometimes operate in ways against matters of ethics and justice. So, for example, if, if someone reads a story of a sick child who needs a life-saving operation, it'll, it will elicit a flood of donations. However, if 
individuals read a story of how declining tax revenues will lead to a deterioration of health care and which will result in multiple preventable deaths, it gets little or no attention beyond the advocates. This is why um, the key to defending a killer in, in James Garbarino's case is to tell that, that killer's story in a way that elicits comprehension, despite the terrible crime committed. Now, he is not in any way justifying or defending the killer's heinous crimes. He's just trying to get the jury to understand what were the events, what were the risk factors in that individual's early life that led him to become who he is nowadays. Once again, I strongly recommend this book for the next podcast. I will be talking more about the biological research behind killers, um, more specifically about the genetic factors that may help determine whether or not someone is prone to be more aggressive or violent in the future. So thank you very much for listening, Um, and I hope you're able to listen to my next podcast where I will continue talking about the book Listening to Killers by James Carparino.